And so I drove down here so I could escape this bitter cold, and you guys have it too. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's my privilege to be here today, um, really just giving Andrew a break. And so um, I'm excited to just step in with our New Life team. We're privileged to do this, just to keep flowing with the series that we all work on together and to encourage one another. Um, and so uh, Andrew is working real hard. I hope you guys know that. And, uh, and so it's my privilege to, to give him a break. And uh, he loves what he does. He loves you all so much. And yet, you know you can have, you know, in the grind of a thing that you love and still get tired. And so we want to make sure that Andrew's refreshed. And so uh, that's why I'm here today. So I send, bring greetings from uh, New Life Bridgeport, our congregation there, and excited to just continue uh, in our series together. If you have your Bibles, could you please open them to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll give some words of introduction this morning. I have a confession to make at the very beginning. My confession is this, that though I have good intentions, I really do care about people in my life. I don't want to be stingy. I want to be generous. My confession is this, I am not a good gift giver. Do I have anybody other confessions, people? I'm not good at gifts, okay? I see those hands. We could talk later if you want to. So in the five love languages, uh, that's a great book about relationships. You know, we're taught that you need to learn to express love to a person in a way that they hear it. And so in my mind, I'm a pretty practical black and white thinker for the most part. Um, Early on in my marriage, now my wife has forgiven me and we're married 21 years now, praise God. But uh, I, I, I wasn't a very good gift giver, I, I've told you that. And so I, on my wife's birthday in those first, I think it was first or second year, I wrapped up this box and I thought, well, this is going to bless my wife, it's going to bless our family. And um, she opened it and you know what was inside? It was a blender. And I hear everybody say, no, he didn't. Yeah, I did. I did that. And I thought, it's practical. We use it in our house. It might encourage us to do things like smoothies and things. And, and my wife just looked at me, and I know she loves me, but she said, you blew it. You, that's not a good gift. <laughs> so another year came around, and I learned from that. And uh, I said, I, I need to get something that really brings my wife joy. And so... Haagen-Dazs ice cream, the pint, white raspberry truffle, white chocolate raspberry truffle. And my wife said, you're getting better. You're getting better. And so that was not as practical of a gift, but it was, it was more of a pleasure gift. I want to I make you happy for this moment. Well, uh, about in, in 2013, so we had been married 15 years. This is not, not really my doing, but I see God's hand in it, and she was able to join she joined me in the ministry of premarital counseling for this couple. He was from India. She was born in Hong Kong, and then they met here in Chicago. He invited us to go to India. And so we got, I got to take her to India. Uh, and I said that was my gift to her. Now, she doesn't really buy that, right, because it was kind of the couple that gave it to us. So what I've learned to do these last few years is to give my wife a card, and, and the card can say whatever basic it says, but I write all over the card because my wife 
appreciates the words of affirmation. And not saying, thank you for all your work, thank you for cleaning and cooking, but saying, no, Melissa, thank you for being a picture of Jesus to me. Uh, Thank you for showing me his love, his patience, his wisdom. And those are the kinds of gifts that I'm trying to get better at giving. A gift that is powerful, that empowers you to move forward, and that uh, is not only practical, yeah, it does help, but it can be even life-changing. Today, I want you to know that as we continue the series in Colossians called First Things First, that the theme of the series is Jesus. Okay, now we can we can kind of say that about all of the Bible, right? Who's the main character of the Bible? It's God. And we learn about God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. But in Colossians, very specifically, the Apostle Paul has a theme that he wants to write to this church. Keep your eyes, your heart full of Jesus. And so he's exalting to us who Jesus is and what he has done. And so two weeks ago, we learned at the beginning, the Apostle Paul just wanted to encourage them. He said, I see the fruit of the gospel of Jesus in your life through your faith and obedience and through your love for one another. And last week, we learned about this hymn, this song of praise that was written for the early church so that they could remember who Jesus was. And we learned he is preeminent, supreme over all things in the universe. He is supreme over creation. All things were made by him and for him. And he's supreme as a reconciler because of what he did when he died on the cross and rose again. Now he can bring sinful humans into fellowship with a holy God. Jesus is amazing. Amen? And so we're exalting Jesus in this letter so far. And and Paul is just reminding them of all that Jesus is and all that he's done for them. And now today, we're going to learn that Jesus is being presented as a gift of God. And not just a gift that we say, thank you, Lord, and we put up on our shelf in our living room. And we say, God gave me that. I got a gift from God right there. Look at that. That's not what the gift of Jesus is for. He is the gift and he is the goal. And we're going to learn what that means. So with that introduction, uh, I would like to read our passage for us today. Would you be so kind to stand with me for the reading of God's word? I know that's weird. Few things we stand for in our society, but let's do it for the word of God. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24, and I'll read through 2, verse 5. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. 
I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Will you pray with me? So God, we commit to you this time. We thank you for the privilege of gathering together. We thank you for this building where we can be warm this morning. We thank you for the spirit of love amongst your people, the fellowship that we have to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. We thank you that we can sing your word back to you and we can encourage our hearts with your truth. And Lord, now as we look at this word, open our ears, Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, Holy Spirit, illumine our understanding, shine your light on us so that we might receive the gift of Christ and let him be fully mature in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, I think it's in your notes there that I have four basic uh, handles for this passage. Very simple to break it down. The Apostle Paul, he, he writes a lot of long sentences, by the way. You know, run on, in order that, so this would happen. And I, sometimes I have to, come on, Paul, make it simple for us. We've got we to gotta get our teeth on this. And so I've tried to break it down for us. So number one, Jesus is the gift worth suffering for. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice what Paul says here. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking how he reconciled us. And now verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Suffering for the believers. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this book, was actually in prison. And so talk about circumstances not dictating your attitude. Here's the Apostle Paul in prison, still having the attitude and the faith to say, I want to encourage God's people. I'm going to write this to encourage them, to remind them of who Jesus is. But notice what he's saying. He's suffering for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed to the Colossians. He's not bitter. He's not mad. He's not trying to make them feel guilty. But he's simply explaining, I know that this is part of the package of following Jesus. When you commit your life to Jesus Christ and you make decisions to live in obedience to him, the Bible makes it very clear. You will suffer. There's, there's no other way around it. And in America, we are suffering averse, aren't we? we? We like anything but suffering. Well, if you sign up to follow Jesus, which we ought to because of what he's done for us, we just need to know that we will walk in his steps. As he suffered, we will also suffer. That the world hated Jesus, they will hate those who stand for Jesus and want to follow Jesus. And so this is, this is part of the package. <clears throat> But I want you to understand something very clear because it can be confusing. What does it say? I'm suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Clarification. Jesus suffering on the cross. 2,000 years ago, his sacrifice for sin. 
It was a once and for all sacrifice. His broken body, his shed blood, they were complete and sufficient payment to satisfy God's justice against the sin of the world. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. On that cross, he secured salvation. Nothing can be added to what Jesus has fully and finally accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary and the empty tomb. Amen. I want us to understand that because look at the next phrase. For the sake of his body. Paul says, I'm suffering for you. I fill up what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. So now Paul is saying, I am not trying to suffer to add or to earn salvation. Because that suffering is already done. Jesus has already paid the price. But now as the redeemed people of God, we, the body of Christ, we are the church. We are called to suffer as we follow Jesus. He's our head. He's our king. He's our Lord. And walking in his steps brings suffering. So this suffering is our part as the church in what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus suffered. He said, you will suffer. Paul says, this is my job. This is part of my, for the sake of the church, this is part of my suffering. And so in that sense, we're filling up what is still lacking in the story of the church, how much the church needs to suffer in obedience to Jesus Christ. So now he says, I'm doing this because I'm fulfilling a commission. I've become the servant of the church to present the word of God in its fullness, verse 25. And then he talks about the mystery. In the Bible, a mystery is something that was covered up. It was hidden. It was not disclosed. And now it has been made known. And so I brought up here on stage a little box. And I think some of you want to know what's in it. But it's covered up. It's not disclosed. It is a mystery to you. And I'm not going to open it right now. That's so rude. I understand. It's called building tension in your sermon. Okay, that's what I'm doing. In the Bible, a mystery is something that was covered, but now has been made clear. It's, it's not like we think of mystery, we think of whodunit, we think of put all the clues together and eliminate people. That's not necessarily the same idea. Mystery is, it was darkness, now it's light. It was confusion, now it's order. It was just hidden, we didn't know, and now we have full knowledge. So what is this mystery, verse 26, that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them? God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Apostle Paul wants us to pause and not be so familiar with the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you have known about the message of Jesus your whole life. You were raised in a Christian home. What a privilege, what a blessing that was, that you heard about Jesus from a young age. Maybe some of you heard about Jesus very recently, and you still say, it's still a big mystery to me. I'm still learning. There's a lot of things that are still covered up. Paul wants us to understand 
that in the history of redemption, the history of the world, the history of God's working through people, that we who live after Jesus was here, after he died, after he rose, we are in such a privileged place. We can know the fullness of God in a greater way than Abraham did. Abraham had a promise from God that through your offspring, I will bless the whole world. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But Abraham didn't know. I'm not sure how that's going to look. I don't know his name. How's he going to do that? How will God bless the whole world? He didn't know, but he believed. But we get more than Abraham. More than Moses. Moses was a great prophet of God, but God told him there would be a greater prophet sent among his people. And he would not only bring the law, but this prophet would keep the law, which Moses couldn't do, which none of God's people could do. And so there was someone greater than Moses coming, but he didn't know who it was. And then you remember Samuel. He was one of the last judges and God had Samuel anoint a king for Israel. And Samuel said, I think this is a bad idea. You do not want a human to be ruling you. But Samuel did that. And in his heart, he knew there will be a great king one day. A king who will reign with righteousness and justice and compassion and and as a shepherd to his people. But he didn't know who that would look like. And then King David came, came and he was a man after God's own heart and And he wrote these beautiful psalms, but King David knew there's going to be a greater king on my throne, in my line, who will not sin like I have sinned, who will not need to repent like I have needed to repent. But King David didn't know what that would look like. And then the prophets came, like Isaiah, and he knew that God would send a servant who all the iniquities of the world would be placed on him. Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've wandered our own way. But God will send this servant who will take up all the punishment for all the sinners of the world. Isaiah didn't know who that was. But we do. And last chapter, or last sermon, verses 15 through 20. Who is it? It is Jesus the supreme ruler over all creation, the preeminent one, the great reconciler between God and man. It is Jesus in him. All things were made by him and for him. All things hold together. And through his sacrifice of his own sinless body, suffering like a criminal, shedding his perfect, innocent blood, we can be cleansed and rescued and brought from darkness into the kingdom of light. And it is this Jesus Christ who is God's mystery now revealed. And not only is he just here, it says Christ in you. Wow. Greater than all those Old Testament saints and this powerful God, Jesus himself, He lives within every believer. This is amazing. As I was preparing for this and just kind of talking it out this week, I just stopped and I said, what? It's so good. It's so great. I don't deserve Christ in me. The God of the universe, Christ, he lives in me. And so... How should we respond to this truth of what God has done? I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I didn't think about it. It wasn't my plan. I didn't even ask for it. But God, in his mercy, is finally unveiling this plan. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean? Christ is with me today, and because he's with me today, I have assurance about tomorrow. That's the hope of glory. Christ is with me today. I can suffer even for Christ today because suffering won't last always. Christ in me, in the present, I have his power and his comfort. And in the future, I have his assurance. You're going to be with me in paradise one day. What a beautiful gift. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Suffering now, but glory to come. Joy in the present, because I know suffering will be done in the future. I like this song, and this is the chorus of it. It just says, uh, Christ above me, Christ beside me, Christ within me, ever guiding, Christ behind me, Christ before, Christ my love, my life, my Lord. Wouldn't it be great? We train ourselves, we discipline ourselves to wake up in the morning and say, Oh Lord, it's Monday. It's negative 47 outside. My car is iced over. I got to face those people at work. I got to have that meeting at work. And Lord, these are hard things for me. But Jesus, you are in me. My hope of glory. Jesus, you're beside me. You're behind me. You're before me. Jesus, you're my love. Jesus, you're my life. Jesus, you're my Lord. And so, Lord, change my attitude as I live into everyday practical living. What does it mean? Jesus, in you, the hope of glory. Let's keep moving. It gets better than that. He's the gift. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the greatest gift that we could ever ask for. But it gets better. Jesus is the goal. He's the goal. Look at verse 28. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. The Apostle Paul says, So Christ in you is the gift that God has finally revealed and shown, made known to all of us. And so what do we do in the body of Christ? Paul says, I proclaim, I preach, I teach, I report, I announce. And he uses this word admonish, which means an exhortation. It's, here's a nice way of saying it, a strong encouragement with a warning. I strongly encourage you to do this. Because if you don't, this will happen. And I hope that in your spiritual life, you're not, you're not opposed to the warnings of the word of God. Because as a good father, he says, hey, don't go there. That's dangerous. Hey, caution in that area. Be, be careful about these things. And so in, in our ministry here at New Life, we're committed teaching you all the word of God. It's not just the things that will build you up emotionally, but we want to warn you biblically. We want to admonish you against sin. And that has to be part of our spiritual maturity is the word is proclaimed and we are admonished and then we are taught with all wisdom. So teaching is just transfer of, of information and truth, but it's done with wisdom. That is with the skill of application. 
How does this look in everyday life? God's divine knowledge applied to everyday living. So the Apostle Paul says, we're proclaiming Jesus. We're warning people how to follow Jesus. We're teaching with wisdom so that, here's the purpose, here's the goal. We can present God's people fully mature in Christ. Jesus is the gift and he becomes the goal. The Apostle Paul says it's not enough just to receive the gift. If Jesus is the gift, thank you God for salvation. Thank you Lord for all that you've done on the cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. I love it. I love it. And and I'm just going to tuck it here and I'm going to live my life. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm 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 on my way to heaven. Yeah, but you, Luke, you have an anger problem. Oh, I know, but I'm still saved. And I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm good. Yeah, but Luke, the way that you're parenting right now, you, you need to be more wise and loving and patient with your kids. Yes, but I'm saved. And I'm good. And I'm on my way to heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Some of us take the gift of Christ in you. And we celebrate it. It's my trophy gift. It's the best gift. And we put it on that wall. And we say, God gave me that gift, salvation. I am saved. I'm a Christian. And then in the church, people begin encouraging you and exhorting you and admonishing you and teaching you. And you begin to say, hey, hey, out of my business. Hey, leave me alone. I'm saved. You're not understanding. Jesus is the gift and he's the goal. God never intended someone to receive the gift of salvation and sit on it. Never intended us to just simply receive. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross. I will still live life my way. That's not what Jesus died for. He is the gift and he is the goal. Remember Colossians 1. All things were created by him and for him. So my life is to be lived for Jesus and not just a rescue, but a redemption. He wants to make all things new in me. He wants me to become just like himself, fully mature. The word means complete, lacking nothing. It means a perfect picture of Jesus. And I'll just tell us right now, none of us will get there 100 percent in this world. And so you, my friends, we have a goal that is worth pursuing till the end of our days. That we can always grow in more Christ-likeness. I think you hear this phrase a lot here at Oak Forest. We talk about it at Bridgeport a lot, but it's our GPS purpose statement. And it says this, we seek to be a family of love that cooperates with God in making full the 